You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about protecting your intellectual property. Now, I feel quite strongly about this. One of the reasons I started Ray 9 was because I wanted our deliverables to be rooted very much in intellectual property. The way we think connecting dots and exploring new ideas is essential to forward progress, but we need to make sure we are protecting ourselves as we do it and make sure that we are not also unintentionally infringing on anyone else's IP in the process. So today's guest is intellectual property attorney, Erin Austin. She has spent over 25 years practicing law at large and small IP-driven companies, including Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, formerly known as Artisan, and MGM, among many others to help B2B experts protect and leverage their expertise. Welcome to Eloma, Erin. Uh, thank you so much, Kylie. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. Um, okay, let's go ahead and dive in. So Aaron, you've been working with people in business, entrepreneurs, et cetera, on this topic for a long time. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about protecting intellectual property that entrepreneurs need to know? Yeah, well, I think we can probably start with my introduction, even though, I mean, you mentioned, you know, MGM and Warner Brothers, and people think that intellectual property is about those big things that it's about the movies and the books and the software and things like that. But when we're experts, intellectual property, I like to say intellectual property is everywhere. Whenever we're using our intellect, we are creating intellectual property. And so we should not uh, make the mistake that we don't have some valuable intellectual property that we need to be thinking about strategically to make sure that we are owning it, controlling it, and therefore we can use it to drive value in our businesses. So the biggest one is thinking it doesn't apply to them. Interesting. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I would imagine that a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing things new for the first time, A, are probably suffering with imposter syndrome because we're doing things for the first time. Uh, and therefore, I would guess that that probably perpetuates what you just said, that we don't think that the things that are happening in our brain are worth protecting. Absolutely. I mean, many people certainly for post-corporate and they start and they're doing what they were doing in-house, but mm -hmm. they're now maybe they're starting as almost freelancers selling their time. Sure. And so they really aren't thinking about, okay, my client has a problem. They come to me, I fix the problem and I create a deliverable for them mm -hmm. and the client owns the, own th the whole thing. And they aren't thinking about like, well, what part of this starts with me and is original with me that I want to make sure that I am retaining those rights so I can continue to use them and mm -hmm. grow them and create other uh, services or goods from them. And so I encourage us, all of us, to be thinking about our intellect as an asset and that mm -hmm. we do want it to create other things that uh, we produce with it. Yeah, I think that's a great call out. You know, so many entrepreneurs I know, um, especially in the service-based space, are creating things that are unique to their IP and in many ways are starting with maybe one concept and then are like snowballing others, like tangential revenue streams, et cetera, off of that one concept. And so that's a good point that we need to make sure that we are protecting the things that are uniquely ours, even if we are 
creating things for clients, et cetera, they need to still be rooted in ours, in our yeah. intellect, right? Yeah. And when we think about it, I mean, like many business coaches, you know, talk about the benefits of having a niche, right? And mm-hmm. as we continue to work with those clients, we understand, you know, the language that they're using, the issues that they have, and we see those patterns and we start to create solutions specifically for those clients. Those are exactly the things that we want to make sure that we are protecting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What else? What are some other big misconceptions that entrepreneurs are probably missing? Yeah, well, I will say that the first question was people ask about intellectual property, they ask about their trademarks. And okay. and typically, you know, these aren't people who, you know, are the Coca-Colas or the McDonald's of the world. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not that we don't love our business names or our logos or, our, you know, we, we're almost all attached to them. We, we thought about them and we picked them out very carefully. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the materials that are that provide value to your business, the thing that your clients are going to pay you for are not your trademarks. They will be yeah. your copyrighted works. They will be those deliverables, the trainings, mm. the workshops, the courses, whatever it is that you, however it is that you provide uh, value to your clients. Those are typically copyrighted works. And so I'll take this opportunity just to mention briefly what the difference between the two are. So, you know, trademarks, those are the things that identify where a good or service comes from. So that's basically Mm -hmm. the brand in short. You know, if I um, hire Think Beyond IP, then we know that it's, you know, by Erin and that she's got this experience and that she does this, you know, she works with B2B experts to protect their copyright. And so, but... That's not, they don't get any value from Think Beyond IP. They get the value from the resources that I provide. And those are Mm -hmm. all copyrighted works. And so copyrights protect the expression of ideas. So Mm. how I talk about intellectual property, how I write about it, the podcasts that I produce or guest on, the workshops that I provide, that is what provides value. And those are all copyrighted materials, the things that are the expression of my ideas around copyrights. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think, I hope I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So you just brought up like when you are a guest on somebody else's podcast Mm -hmm. and you're right now a guest on my podcast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we will typically have when we have a guest on the podcast is we have a disclaimer saying like, we're allowed to use this, right? But just for everybody listening, do you want to use this right now as an example in terms of like, what is your IP and what we are allowed to share? Just, we'll just use this right now in real time. Yeah. So the recording is the copyrighted material and you own the recording. The ideas are mine, but I cannot protect ideas. Nobody can protect ideas. Ideas are mm. free under the universe. And so if somebody wants to listen to this and go, oh, IP is everywhere. Great. You know, they're free to do it, you know, but they can't take your podcast and, you know, put their name on it and make reproductions of it. They can't publicly perform it. They can't create derivatives from it. Those are exclusively your copyrights. Now, if I were to come, like say I guested in one of your workshops Mm -hmm. and I brought a, um, 
a slideshow and I had some materials. And so I had a PowerPoint and some worksheets and things Mm -hmm. that would be my original IP. So I would continue to own that, Mm -hmm. although you would own the recording. Um, And so there would be like, let's say you wanted to register that workshop. You would say, okay, I own the recording, but there's these parts of it that I don't own because they're owned by this third party. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. So that's a good, I'm going to use that as a segue into this next question. So when we, so as you know, entrepreneurs, we are influenced by all these, we read books, we listen to podcasts, all these ideas, right? And so many of us have ideas sparked from something else that we have then connected and morphed into what we hope we would call our own, right? So what is the, uh, like, what's the benchmark? What is the, the barrier where you can say, this is actually my idea. It's not Joe Schmoes down the street. Yeah, well, that that's the million dollar question. It's one I get often as well. And what is the difference between something that's a derivative, which is a right that is exclusive to the copyright owner? So if I take something like I have a book, you know, Gone with the Wind, and I'm going to make a movie out of it, that's clearly a derivative of Gone with the Wind, right? Sure. Okay. Versus if I am uh, 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 inspired by you know, something about the deep South and I want to create my own thing. And, you know, maybe there's some elements from it that you might recognize as being um, from it. You know, what is that dividing point? And basically what we do has to be transformative. Now, first of all, we can't copy. So copying is always a problem. Mm-hmm. But also, but we can be influenced that's so substantially similar that it's kind of like copying, like we recognize mm. it, like we create a universe that's so similar, even though we've changed all the names, we changed the town, mm. but it's clearly been uh, like substantially same. similar. And it is not, there's not a number. Well, people ask like, what's the percentage? Like if you're asking me the percentage, you're probably in trouble because that's mm. not, that's not the measure. The measure isn't the percentage. It's how much, how much similarity is there and uh, and the more unique the original work is, the trickier it is, you know, any bit of similarity could be enough to kick it over. So, mm. so you know, percentage wise, you know, let's we take Scarface, for instance. And if the only thing you take out of that is, you know, say hello to my little friend, <laughs> like how much of it have you copied? But guess what? Like that's arguably the most important part of that movie, right? Yeah. It's not a percentage number. So it really is like, I, the answer is like, it depends. The it depends. answer is it really depends. And so we want to d- d- approach it in that it is our job as the person who is being influenced to make sure that we aren't being so influenced that we can be a subject to a copyright infringement. That's on us to make sure that yeah. we don't do that. Yeah. And what is like the appropriate way if you were to like quote the work of somebody else, right? So like, say you were influenced that you read a book and there was like this one line or one page of the whole book. And you're like, I want to tell people about this thing. Mm -hmm. What is the appropriate way to do that, to make sure that you are respecting all of the things? Yeah. And so you're talking about plagiarism. So yeah. plagiarism might be copyright infringement or it might be. Sometimes it's just an attribution issue. Okay. Uh, so, and that's making sure that you aren't uh, 
uh, suggesting that it's original to you, that you are giving proper attribution to where you got it from. Yeah. And so not everything that we read or write or hear is copyrightable. And so some things, um, you know, like uh, if someone wrote a passage about, you know, the history of Virginia, right? And it's not original, it's kind of facts driven, it's not that original, and it wouldn't rise to the level of copyright protection. That doesn't mean I can just take it and pretend I wrote it. I would still give attribution to you know, Encyclopedia mm-hmm. Britannica, if anyone knows what that is, sure. yeah. <laughs> it would still need. And so, but if it is someone's copyrighted material, uh, technically you should uh, have permission to use it. I want, okay. you know, if it is someone who's, you know, bothered to put a copyright notice on it, by the way, that's not, that's not a requirement, but if it is somebody's copyrighted material, like it is a, someone's property, the same way your car is your property, the same way the clothes on your back are your property, the same way, you know, any um, inventory of any store is their property. And so I like to use the, you know, car analogy, like, you know, if you're creating a car and all you need, you need this one bolt, just this one little bolt. What's the problem? It's just one bolt. But do you get to just take it or do you have to buy it? Like you just, you know, like there's no other you know, kind of industry, I guess, where you think that you can just borrow somebody else's property to create your own, um, uh, you know, thing that you're going to sell, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like we get, we buy inventory, we get permission to use other people's marks, we get permission to use people's work. And so is fair use a thing? Fair use is a thing, but fair okay. use is a defense. It's not a right. It's mm, okay. a defense. So I use, I borrow something from someone and, you know, chances are, you know, who has the capacity to, you know, audit every single use everywhere on the internet every day. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. almost nobody does. Right. But if it does for some reason come to their uh, attention and they do have an objection, they have every right to ask you to cease and desist from using it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if you want to keep using it, if you say, ah, oh, it's fair use, they're going to go, oh, sure, sorry, sorry, sorry to bother you. They're not. I mean, the reason that they reached out to you is because they think that it's not fair use and you don't want to have that, um, you know, you don't want to fight that fight unless it's that important to you. Yeah. You know, it's like a motion picture and I have motion picture background. And if something ends up in a, you know, $100 million movie that they spend another $100 million to distribute and then someone claims fair use, well, you're going to fight that, right? You're not going to just roll over. You can't yeah. take it out and take it back. Versus if we put something in one of our courses and someone says, hey, I don't like that, take it out take it out. You know, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to uh, hire lawyers and go to court to claim, to defend your use as a fair use defense. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, so that, that's good because, you know, we're all influenced by so many, you know, especially entrepreneurs, we're reading and consuming all these different things. And so well, I, I, I want to separate copying from influence. We're allowed to be influenced because those yeah. are ideas, right? We can't protect ideas. So we can read about, you know, Brene Brown and about bravery and we can be influenced by that and decide to create, 
you know, materials around that and incorporated in how we work with our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't copy what she did, right? Or we have to change it, you know, substantially so that there's it's not similar. Um, so I don't want to say we can't be influenced. Obviously, we all are. You know, the copyrights are literally, you know, copying, performing, mm-hmm. uh, distributing, creating derivatives from. And so the, the issue becomes the derivative and making sure we're doing enough original, uh, changing it enough that it's not substantially similar to the original. The Accelerator is exactly what you've been looking for. If you're either an executive woman ready to leave corporate and start your own thing, but don't know where or how to get started, or you're an existing woman small business owner and you're ready to level up your business, We've built a -a one-of-a-kind six-month training program with over a dozen industry experts that took me nearly a decade to assemble, and I am delivering this to you on a platter. I have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of wasted time and energy over the last decade by not having these resources available to me. And I want to change the way women are running their businesses so they can make more money faster with less anxiety and fewer unreliable partners which is why we've built The Accelerator. It's time to level up and make sure you're leveraging your business to support the life you want to be living personally, professionally, and financially. Learn more at rixrixaccelerator.com. Okay, here's a question for you. So let's say, you know, everybody has their models out there in the world, right? So What if you were to be talking to somebody or teaching something and you're like, okay, well, I have this, whatever it is. Uh, Let's, let's just use Simon Sinek and his golden circle, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know what that is. Like the who, the why, what, how, right? So we're teaching, uh, you know, why start with why, right? We're like, oh, well, hey, everybody knows that we have to start with why. And the best way to explain this is Simon Sinek. He created this thing called the golden circle. And it talks about these three things. And I want to spend 30 seconds telling you about this. And then you should go read the rest of that book. Like what is the proper way to to say, hey, reference this because this is the best that's out there already. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel and then put Mm -hmm. my name on it. Right. And then make sure he gets all the credit that he deserves. Yeah, by doing exactly that, like not, you know, I mean, if you want to buy all the copies and distribute them to your to your clients, then you can do it that way or you can refer them to get their own. But making sure you're not like copying portions of it and putting that in, like, let's say, you know, you're doing a workshop and you just want to use like a couple of the graphics in there. Mm -hmm. Um, You would need permission to do that. Technically, legally, you need permission to do that. Um, And uh, or you should you know, the proper way would be for them to get their own copy or to have permission to use it in your, in your work. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good to know. Mm -hmm. All all these good, good to knows, right? All these good to knows. Um, Okay. So that being said, so what are some of the stickiest situations you've seen entrepreneurs get themselves into when it comes to IP and protecting IP? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking to some about some of the stickiest ones, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, believing that, this fair use. I mean, everyone seems to know the term fair use and think they, you know, and they, I think they think about it from the academic perspective, from being able to, you know, uh, incorporate things in their research papers and things like that, because 
Um, you know, so long as you give attribution, it's fine. Um, and it's about, you know, not committing plagiarism. And that's kind of the way they think about fair use. But that doesn't apply in the commercial context when we are creating things that we're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, making sure that we have permission for all of the inputs that we are creating. But the more importantly is that we want to make sure that we're creating original materials anyway. Like our mm-hmm. goal is to create assets on our business. And just like any other asset, it's more valuable when you own the whole thing, you know, when mm-hmm. it's not mortgaged or there's not a loan against it, or you don't have somebody else, somebody else doesn't have rights in what you are creating. And so um, making sure we're creating our own originals in our own voice is super important. And then the other thing would be not using contracts. And so it's mm. really is a self-inflicted wound when we aren't using contracts. Um, I, I know people find it overwhelming, but it just doesn't have to be. Um, when we are working with our subcontractors, certainly we want to make sure we have um, something in place with our subcontractors. You know, the default under copyright law is that the human being who created something owns it unless they are either your W-2 employee And so if they aren't your W-2 employee and you didn't make it, you need to have a piece of paper in writing signed that would make that would transfer the rights in that work to you. So it doesn't matter that you paid for it. It doesn't matter that you told them, you know, I want you to, you know, write a script for me about, you know, some HR scenario that I'm going to use. Like it doesn't matter that you're the expert, the human being who wrote it owns that work and you just have a license to use it unless you have something in writing. And so we want to make sure a lot of people don't use contracts with their subcontractors. And like so many things, we can go our entire careers and never have a problem. That's probably most of us, right? But it will become a problem if one, we want to scale our businesses. So we want to start creating you know, one to many types of assets. So if we are using, let's go to that HR um, example, we are creating trainings that we're using one-on-one. We go into the client, we do one-on-one, you know, team building um, workshops with them. And then we go to the next client, we do one-on-one. And then someday we want to create a course out of it, or we want to create something larger. And then those things that we don't have the rights to start to become problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, you may be using somebody else's uh, graphics that you got from a book somewhere and no one will ever notice. Honestly, no one will probably ever notice when you're doing that one-on-one. But when you start creating courses and, or you want to write your own book and you put it in there, you've got problems. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to sell someday and you have this workshop, that's your whole revenue driver is this workshop. And the buyer comes in and goes, oh, I see you have this and this. Where's the license to use this? Like, oh, it's fair use. Like, no, no, no. Mm. And so you have a problem. And so um, we want to make sure that we're not like kind of, you know, we're building that firm foundation from the beginning so that we are able to grow and to hopefully sell someday. That's good. That's all good insight. Um, and good things to, you know, keep in my back pocket so that we can bring out to the world and just, because I don't think anybody ever means to, right. well, well, 
I'm sure there's actually some people out there that (laughs) don't really care. Um, But I think generally speaking, people don't mean to do anything wrong, but sometimes they might just not know. So this is good that we're that we're getting it out there. Um, So we talked about it a little bit, but what are some of the potential consequences of not protecting our IP or accidentally infringing on somebody else's? Yeah, well, first, not protecting is it's not that you would lose um, your rights. I mean, there's the small circumstance where somebody copies your work and then they register it before you and then you have like a problem, right? That's probably not. But what will happen is that you, if you aren't being proactive about, you know, keeping records of things, making sure you have contracts in place, um, registering those things that are your money makers. We don't register everything we create. We create stuff all the time, right? With mm-hmm. those things that are our money makers. Then when there is an infringement, then your remedies are either um, very expensive because you have to recreate history. you got to prove stuff. You don't have mm-hmm. kind of the, um, you know, when you have a registered copyright, you start with the, okay, you created it and you owned it. Like you start with that level of evidence. You don't, and all you have to do is prove that they copied it mm-hmm. versus if you don't have any of those things then you're starting with, okay, this is when I created it, blah, blah, blah. you know, it just makes it much more expensive and more difficult and a little bit riskier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there are certain, uh, damages that are available to you based on whether or not it was registered, um, before or after you published it. I don't want to get in the weeds in that, but there are different levels of damages available to you based on that. Um, but, um, so it just makes it more difficult and or more expensive to uh, get an infringer to back down or to recover damages from them, depending on what level of protections you put in place. If you're using your contracts right and registering things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding in which we infringe other people's work. And one thing that intent, I mean, you, you mentioned, like we generally don't do it. We're not bad people. We just don't understand that, you know, we can't just take stuff off the internet or we can't just borrow one little thing. Um, the intent is, doesn't matter. You know, I mean, if you do it intentionally, you know, you have greater liability than if you do it unintentionally, but you still have a liability if you do it unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And so we do want to make sure that, um, we are, uh, very, uh, mindful of where we were acquiring things. You know, this came up, I was doing a um, a workshop the other day and it came up of uh, uh, unconscious copying. You know, it kind of goes to your, mm. you know, being influenced. Like, so there could be, you know, that you, you know, like these days we get bombarded with stuff like, you know, podcasts and YouTube mm-hmm. and the internet and scrolling and scrolling. And so there could be things that kind of just, pop in there and then you're out there creating it like oh, what is, this is brilliant and, uh, and not realizing that it's something that you heard on a podcast or something that you read mm-hmm. in a book and so if there are some voices in your industry that are like you know really strong and that kind of you know kind of might influence your writing we want to be mindful of you know have I somehow maybe you know, unconsciously coupled, uh, copied something <laughs> from somebody. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we, 
infringements. I mean, that's kind of binary. Either you did it or you didn't. And uh, and that if you did, regardless of your intent, that there could be liability. But I do. I don't want to scare people, by the way. It's kind of scary <laughs> because I, I realized like that was kind of scary that most people are not going to just sue you. Like if something happens, you unconsciously copy something, you will get if they notice you will get a cease and desist letter first. And they're going to say, hey, I noticed this you know, thing. And that's just like like, oh, you know. Oh my gosh. And then uh, typically most of what we put out is digital these days and Mm -hmm. we can take it out and reissue it. Um, uh, But uh, so you're not going to get sued right away, but you know, we do right away. (laughs) (laughs) If we we honor that cease and desist, if we agree or if we don't disagree, then you go to the mats against on it, I guess. (laughs) Now, what about when it comes to like quoting somebody? You know, like there's famous quotes by, you know, Walt Disney or whatever. Like, is that uh, something that we need to be concerned about? Yeah, uh, generally not quoting someone. Um, You know, again, I mean, there's a shades. There's a practical angle to everything. Right. And so um, typically, you know, quoting someone in a way that doesn't kind of disparage them. Um, will be fine. I mean, we shouldn't be quoting people to suggest that they have endorsed us in some way. Like, so you don't want to put a quote of someone like, you know, on the foreword of your book, you know, which suggests that, you know, but um, to be able to say like, hey, you know, um, that reminds me of, you know, something that Seth Godin said. And then you say that thing, that's, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, But we don't want to, yeah. Don't incorporate it into things that you're selling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we've talked a lot about, you know, contracts and protecting yourself and making sure you're not infringing on others. What are some low hanging fruit things that uh, entrepreneurs need to put into place to make sure, you know, like here's the baseline, this is a good place to start. Well, I mean, the very lowest hanging fruit is using the copyright symbol, the copyright notice on the works that we create. And so that would be the things that we publish typically. Mm. Um, and so on your website, on your, you know, freebies, um, you wouldn't put it on like your LinkedIn, you know, social media posts, but on the things that um, people might come across and not realize whether or not it is protected. Now, you do not have to have the copyright notice for it to be protected. That's no longer required. You know, I think since the 70s, it's not required. Um, but it puts the world on notice that you are claiming copyright ownership of that work. And so at minimum, no one can uh, uh, claim that it was an innocent uh, infringement uh, because there was the copyright notice right there. And okay. so that's just very simple. The C in a circle, the year it was published and whatever name you're claiming the copyright ownership in, you know, it might be you personally, it might be in your business if you create it in your business, but that's, that's the simplest thing to do. And that's the year you created it in, not like the current year. The uh, year you publish it. Okay. So, so if you publish it in multiple years, then you just update it every time. Yeah. Like you'll often see at the bottom of websites, it'll say like copyright, mm-hmm. you know, yep. 2010 through 2023, you know, and that will say that that's has some materials on there since 2010. Okay. So you would have that full range. You wouldn't yes. go back and yes. like up. So, okay. Just so keep adding the full range. Year. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't you have a like NDA navigator type of thing that people <laughs> should know about as well? Good. It is an NDA navigator kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I do, uh, you know, one-on-one services, but I am developing resources for the B2B expert with corporate clients. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like there's, you know, templates all over the place. But most, when we have corporate clients, we get their paper. They don't get our paper. And so we need to be able to kind of understand and navigate when we get the client's paper. And so the first of the of a series is, going, is the NDA navigator. You know, when we, again, when we have corporate clients, sometimes signing an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement. I don't think we said that out or confidentiality yeah. Yeah, yeah. agreement. Um, is, you know, just the cost of doing business for some clients, they won't even get on the phone with you for you to figure out what they need unless you have an NDA in place. So before you're even in the running for the job, um, you have to sign an NDA and perhaps spend money, uh, if you're going to hire a lawyer to do it, uh, before there's any revenue attached to it. And so I created the NDA navigator so that you can, you know, completely understand what, you know, those NDAs that come from your client, um, know what the, you know, must-haves and what the uh, deal breakers are. Um, and uh, and so it includes, you know, a plug-and-play template, but it also includes a client-side agreement that I have redlined and annotated about why I made all the changes that I made. And by the way, I do want people to understand that every agreement is negotiated, can be negotiated. It's not you know, you're not being a bad uh, vendor by negotiating your agreements, whether it's a client, you know, the services agreement or an NDA, so long as it's reasonable, then they respect that and that's fine. And, uh, and so when with the NDA navigator, you can kind of provide reasonable feedback. That's just the things that you need and nothing that you don't need. So I'm very happy about that one. And I'd love to, by the way, um, give your listeners a 10% discount. And oh, I well, realize you. I don't have the code with me, but we will get it for to you. And we'll you add it in the it. show notes. Yes. 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 <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Aaron, what are some of the things that you see on the horizon in this industry in the next couple of years, things that we should stay uh, look out for? Well, I, this is probably pretty boring, but AI obviously... Is, oh yeah, I mean, yeah that's got to I mean, be copyright <laughs> infringement all over the place. I'm sure it, it is. Well, you know, it's still being negotiated. But <laughs> there's two things. What we do know is that when we are creating materials that we want to have real value in our business, so I'm not talking about you know social media posts or maybe even blog posts. But when we're creating things that are going to be our money makers, then we want to make sure that that is original. And Mm -hmm. so something that is AI created will not get copyright protection. And so you need to make sure that, you know, if you use it as an idea generator, or maybe you ask it to create an outline for you, but that a human being, the requirement for copyright protection is a human being has created it and that it's original. And so that you are uh, making sure that you create that final product. And at the end of the day, I mean, people worry about that, but you know, at this time, AI is not creating anything that's frankly that valuable. You know, <laughs> like we could not create, like they can, you know, create scripts. And I've we've seen them, you know, that they can do. I've seen a whole video made. They wrote the script, they did the thing, they did the 
the video stuff and they're not that great right now. It's not going to always be that way. Yeah. Um, but we want to make sure that we uh, aren't relying on AI to create things that are really valuable. Um, we still need to be creating those things. And if we stick to that fundamental, then we'll be okay. Um, so, you know, making sure you're, you're not relying on AI too much because it's not protectable. And, uh, and as far as, you know, people worry about AI stealing their work. Mm. And, um, you know, AI right now, um, well, I, you know, as we're speaking, it could even be changing. That I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But generally it is created, you know, it's taught, like it's got a database of information that it works from. Mm-hmm. And so they have to choose your materials to put in there. And maybe they will. <laughs> Probably they won't, you know, it's possible. I mean, what's in there is, you know, like you can go in there and ask it to write another chapter of Harry Potter book. So obviously that's in there, you know, and there have been people who've wow. recognized their works in there. Um, but uh, but generally, you know, probably most of what we're doing is not going to be put in there. Now, what might happen is that somebody else might put your work in there. And uh, so they might take, you know, your, uh, uh, you know, page from your from your website and put it in there and have it rewrite it. And um, but that's not something that a human couldn't do. Does it make it easier and faster? Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, somebody taking your work, putting it in IA and rewriting it is something that humans can do as well. Um, so, uh, you know, again, like we're, here we are, November, 2023, I had to look at the, look at the calendar, you know, I and mean, it could be completely different by the time this comes out, but at right now I want us to just stay the course of having our own voices, creating original materials and, um, and using our contracts because our, our contracts will say like, you know, what you can do with our deliverables. So I do an HR training for a client and they have the workbooks that, that, that contract's going to say what they can do with the trainings that I leave there. You know, can Mm. they reuse it with other offices? Can they create derivatives from it? Can they stick it in AI and create something? And so that's why you really need to have those contracts because that will tell them what they can do with that deliverable. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Well, AI is disrupting everything right now and I'm sure that it's just the beginning um, oh, and, yes. you know, it's been around for a while. It's just starting to make a bigger impact uh, yes. in our daily lives. So, yeah, I'm this sure time last year, I was not beginning. talking about AI at all. Like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like uh, just this time about, you know, two, three years ago is when I started kind of really taking a look at AI. And I was like, oh, this is going to change everything. Especially when I was in the creative agency space. I was like, mm-hmm. this is really going to disrupt things. Um, and now it's, it's here, it's full fledged and it's just going to keep coming. So, yes. mm-hmm. um, awesome. Well, thank you for that, Aaron. Okay. Um, I have one more question for you. This one is the doozy. This one, this one usually gets people. So here we go. Um, what is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? Oh boy. Well, for me as a solopreneur, <laughs> it, they kind of, you know, all in one. And that is that mm-hmm. it can be really hard. It can be really hard if you let it. And for me, the, the, 
the journey for me is understanding that I don't have to do everything and that I don't have to do it alone and that I can let some stuff go. And mm-hmm. so, you know, at home, you know, things I don't want to do, I don't want to cook, I don't want to clean, I don't want to, you know, so I don't, and it's okay. And, you know, and then in my business, there are things I don't want to do. Like I'm just bad at some things. I'm bad at, or, you know, tracking things and organizing things and SOPs. I'm not a marketer. I mean, so many people, you know, in this business have marketing backgrounds. I don't, I'm a lawyer and that, you mm-hmm. know, and so having to be fair, I don't know many lawyers with marketing backgrounds, <laughs> but that would be, that would be quite the combo, but I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. And so just, you know, kind of staying in my lane has been, you know, the biggest learning from that. And uh, yeah, but it can be really hard if you, if you let it get yeah. a hold of you. Yeah. It can be. It's it's not for the faint of heart. That's for it's sure. Yeah. Um, well, Aaron, thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks for joining us today. If people would like to reach out for more information, what is the best way to get in touch? Yeah, well, please come uh, to thinkbeyondip.com. I've got all sorts of free resources there. And so um, I'm like, I'm known as the graphics queen. I'm always creating graphics about something. I like to explain things simply. So go there to find those. And then I'm on LinkedIn. That's where I hang out. I've been there so long. I am the OG Aaron Austin. So you can just find me there at Aaron Austin. (laughs) There you go, Aaron Austin. All right, well, we'll make sure we have that information in the show notes as well. Thank you again, Aaron. It has been a pleasure. And for anyone listening to the podcast who has enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you are listening. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. Are you struggling with recruiting the right talent, employee or team retention, engagement and advocacy, innovation, building your team's business and leadership skills? We are bringing entrepreneurial skill sets, business acumen, and ownership mindset to organizations to help them build entrepreneurs with our entrepreneur training program. This new program will help companies and organizations elevate their talent and increase profitability by expanding tangible business skill sets, improving cross-department functionality and communication, amplifying leadership capabilities, and so much more. If you'd like to learn more, check out Rick's RixITP.com and book a discovery call today. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.